You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is Chet Holmgren misunderstood to some extent as an NBA prospect? How might he translate to the next level? And also, how should we compare him with other recently drafted seven-foot so-called unicorns such as Evan Mobley. I've got a guest joining me to discuss all of this and more. You are locked on the NBA draft. As is tradition, it is a Wednesday morning and you are joined by your host today. It is me, Sam Ferris. You can follow me on Twitter at DraftDummies. I am there constantly posting my thoughts, some stats, some clips, both from the young guys in the NBA as well as from college basketball. But today we've got an awesome topic. We've got a guest joining me today to discuss in depth Chet Holmgren. He just did an awesome YouTube video. And I, uh, when I have him on, I'll kind of let him plug some of this stuff. But he, he gets into a lot of the nuance as it pertains to Chet Holmgren. So I'm very excited to tackle that with him. And I'm also excited that uh, just to have a guest on today so I don't have to riff for 30 minutes and so you guys don't have to listen to me just talk for 30 minutes today. It's going to be a great episode. But first, our title sponsor today is Truebill. This episode is brought to you by Truebill. It is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you do not want or need. And you can even they can even help you negotiate better deals on those you do want to keep. Again, that is Truebill, today's title sponsor. And before we get into it, I just want to say thank you to our listeners for making today's episode of the Locked On NBA Draft podcast your first listen today. And hopefully that is the case every day as well. But we don't want to waste too much time. Let's get into the basketball. Now, the guest that we've got today. All right, so let's bring in the guest that I've got today. We've got a fun topic, and it is Chip Jones. You can follow him at ChipJNBA, and you can follow him the same username on YouTube. And that is the main reason why I wanted to have him on the show today. He just did a fantastic job doing a video of a pretty nuanced breakdown of Chet Holmgren. As I've talked about on the top of the show today, that is going to be the main topic we're going to hit on today. And I'm always very excited to do kind of the more nuanced, in-depth discussions on these guys. But first of all, Chip, thank you so much for taking the time to join. How is it going for you this afternoon? I'm doing great. I'm having a good afternoon. I'm excited to be here. You know, it's nice to have a podcast, uh, you know, talk about one of my favorite players in the class. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And this was the first video that you've done. Correct. Uh, was Chet Holmgren. Yes, sir. Do you have, I don't know if you want to spoil it yet, but do you have a topic for the second video that uh, might be coming out next? I do. Um, I'm still early on in the process, but, uh, I'm working on a video that is talking about, um, Jabari Smith Jr. and Harrison Ingram. And both of them, I think, are kind of interesting because they're both kind of wings. And, you know, you think about like mm -hmm. long wingspan, athletic wings. I mean, Jabari doesn't have the longest wingspan, but, you know, Harrison does. And uh, 
they're both very, very poor vertical athletes. Like they just don't get very much pop. And I think yep. um, with their offensive skills, a lot of people are trying to project like high level offensive outcomes. And I'm a little hesitant because of some of the physical limitations. So I'm doing a video looking at um, all-star level wings who don't really have very much vertical pop and how they compensate for that in their game and talking about how I think Harrison and Jabari can do so as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've certainly noticed that with Harrison Ingram and before we started recording today, I kind of uh, gave you a chance to ask any questions and you made sure to let me know that you've already <laughs> spent plenty of time on Twitter discussing why you don't currently have Jabari Smith Jr. in the top five. So we're not going to take any more time today to hit on that topic. <laughs> I know you've you've been fighting a couple of those battles on Twitter that I've seen. But without further ado, let's get into the topic today that is Chet Holmgren. Like I said, the video was awesome. I've watched it a few times, taken some notes. I felt like even though I've watched him a bunch, I've learned a lot. And we're going to go through kind of in chronological order the notes that I've taken from it and kind of my own thoughts. And of course, excited to get yours as well. And so to start off the video, or at least within the first minute or so, I loved how you started out with discussing Chat Holmgren through the lens of this diagram, where basically you say that a lot of people view him as like this binary prospect where we go through this flow chart and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically what you say here is a lot of people just simplify it to the extent that they, they say Chet Holmgren is so skinny, so weak right now that the question with him as a prospect is, will he gain a bunch of weight and strength? If the answer to that is no, then we're talking about a bust. And if the answer to that is yes, then we're talking about a seven foot one unicorn. And yeah. so I thought that was interesting. Tell me why you started your video with that and why you think that kind of line of thinking is important. Well, I mean, I've kind of always had this underlying belief that's something that like I've really thought about. And I think it kind of popped up with last year's draft too, where, um, you know, it kept coming out that the Detroit, that the Detroit Pistons aren't, uh, they weren't, they weren't sure, you know, maybe it's a smoke screen, maybe it's a facade, but they were saying, you know, oh, we're not sure if we're taking Cade up until like, you know, the last minute. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people kind of just look at the the top prospects and they kind of have this idea of like, uh, they, they don't need to look into them and they don't, they don't even think about the top prospects because the top guys are the top guys. And usually they've been, you know, towards the top for years, you know, we've known about them coming and people kind of just don't even worry about analyzing them and seeing what they do. They just kind of, you know, Oh, well, they're already known. So they kind of move past them. And I think Chet's kind of getting that. And I feel like in his instance, it's an even more extreme case because, you know, every time you turn on a Gonzaga game, you'll notice the commentators talking about the fact that he's very skinny and he may possibly benefit from adding weight. And um, that's kind of all they say. They're like, oh yeah, Chet, he's good and uh, he's skinny, so he needs to add weight. And then that they kind of just dismiss him and move on. And I feel like, you know, Chet's a really unique guy and you, you can miss out on a really cool player if you don't necessarily dig a little bit deeper with him. Yeah, I totally agree for a couple different reasons. Number one, like talking about him potentially gaining weight just isn't that interesting because like everyone talks about it and he's still very young. He's still 19 years old, so he's obviously going to gain some weight, but in the end, he doesn't have that much control over it. And we certainly don't either. 
And that's just kind of wherever the conversation starts and ends with him a lot of times. But also just evaluation and player development is never that binary. Like there's never just one reason, or at least not very often, there's just one reason why a prospect can succeed or fail. And to a certain extent, we kind of went through a little bit of this with Evan Mobley last year, where I don't think it was to this extent because he's not quite as as skinny, but you know, people just talked about like, what will he be if he gains weight or doesn't? And it turns out for a couple different reasons we might hit on later because there are some natural comparisons that yes, he is already very good and he doesn't need to put on that much weight to, to do that. And there's been other examples in recent history. I was thinking through a few, like RJ Hampton was one from a few years ago where we talked about this dude is such a great athlete. If the jumper just comes along for him, like look out. And the jump, like he's shooting over 40% on catch and shoot jumpers this year. And it's just still not that inspiring. Uh, there, There's plenty of examples we could get into, but there's just never really just one reason why a prospect can succeed or fail. Yes, we love to talk about swing skills, but it's often not really that simple. Um, anything else kind of you want to add on there in terms of kind of that binary view of prospects as it relates to Chet? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you nailed it on the head. And I feel like even, you know, there's a lot of players like that and it can be very challenging. But I think especially like in Chet's perspective, like when you talk about a guy like RJ Hampton as a guard who's like super, you know, athletic and he's a solid ball handler, right? And it's kind of like for RJ to play and give you good value, you kind of want him to get a lot of on-ball reps. Mm -hmm. And I think that can even lean it towards, even though I wouldn't say binary outlooks on prospects are good, it can lean it like when you're looking at a guy who primarily is drawing a lot of value from being on ball, then, you know, it's like, oh, well, if they can't do this on ball and they're not very good off ball, then that causes problems. But in Chet's case, he's probably even better without the ball. So you don't really need to worry about like, oh, can he, you know, pull up and hit jumpers off the dribble or something. It, it doesn't really matter that much for him because he's going to give you value in a bunch of different ways. So, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it on the head there. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy. You look at some guys and it's just so hard to evaluate it, exactly even what type of players certain guys are going to become. I think about Alperin Shengun from the last draft class where along the similar lines, people talked about, you know, what level of perimeter defender is he going to be? Is he just going to be burned on the perimeter? You know, and people talked about that as kind of his binary, binary yes or no. And he's putting up like ridiculous activity rates in terms of like steals. And he's been better than I thought defensively. But at the same time, the uh, like his passing has been good, but his offense around the rim hasn't been quite what I expected yet. And yeah. so it's just never kind of that simple in terms of yes or no on, on one aspect of a prospect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think bringing up Alperin is like a, a really good example because I think, um, you know, I'm always trying to get better as an evaluator. And last year, I think I kind of fell into that bus a little bit with Alperin where I was maybe a little skeptical on some of the defensive stuff. And I kind of maybe focused more on the what he can't do than what he can do. And uh, maybe I kind of missed out. And as a result, I actually, um, you know, I, I try and I try and learn as much as I can from prospects who I think I'm a little bit wrong on. And I think one thing I started prioritizing a lot, a lot more heavy is uh, 
lot more heavily is uh, upper body flexibility for big men. Cause I mean, Alperin's got that background in swimming yeah. and he's, you know, big emphasis on stretching. He's always trying to stay loose and such. And I mean, a lot of like what he's doing, defending the pick and roll and that on defense with his hand activity, a lot of that just comes down to like hand-eye coordination and upper body flexibility for someone of his size that isn't super common. And I think it's a, it's great that you brought that up because that's something I see in Chet. And that's part of the reason why I think Chet's being a little underrated defensively. Yeah, that is a perfect transition to the next topic. But like you said, if you haven't watched Alperin Shengun, because I got to see him in person at Summer League, it's like a, it's hilarious to watch him warm up on the sideline or before games. He is, yeah. He's got to be the most flexible guy in the NBA. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, but that's a great transition because the next note I have is getting into the defense on Chet Holmgren. I think you made a couple really astute observations because yes, we know Chet is a ridiculous rim protector. One of the best that, you know, I've seen in terms of like pre-college samples as a rim protector, a shot blocker. He is awesome. And you kind of dove into a little bit of like the how he does it and, and the why behind of it. So what you looked at is, you know, you see a lot of guys block shots either really hard off the backboard or out of bounds. And the observation that you made was he obviously, or he often doesn't have these like just super hard blocks off the backboard or out of bounds. Instead, you'll often see the ball kind of drop to the feet or nearby of the guy he he blocked. And you talked about how that relates kind of to both the upper body flexibility and kind of his hand-eye coordination. And as I went back and watched and saw the clips and I went back and watched some of my own again, it's true. He often just gets the ball as it's coming out of the guy's hands. And so talk to me kind of about why you think that is important and uh, how that might translate as it pertains to Chet Holmgren moving forward throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's probably one of my favorite. I think that's probably my favorite thing about Chet. Cause I think it's what makes him so unique is we haven't really had rim protectors and shot blockers who necessarily do things like him. So the way I kind of looked at those blocks, I guess, I mean, they are blocks, I guess. Um, they're kind of like swipe downs, mm-hmm. which is pretty, pretty interesting to me. And it's, you know, sometimes they're swiped sideways because you can't really go down because people are going up with one hand or something, but I think one thing that makes that really interesting is like the swipe downs, an iconic move for smaller players, defending bigger players. And I think, you know, the big thing with Chet is the strength and can he hold up inside and the fact that he kind of is using a unique version of a similar technique that guys who aren't necessarily as big or as strong use to defend bigger and stronger players is really cool. And I think that's another, like, there's a lot of things that give me confidence that Chet can probably find plus value as an NBA player outside of um, you know, the, the shot blocking and such, but I think it's or outside of the strength, but, you know, I think that's one really great way that he can do that. And I think it's, it's an interesting combination. He's just so sensational when it comes to tracking the ball. Like he, he's always locked in on the ball. And the one player I think that is kind of similar with me or for me with that, which is a pretty funny comparison, I think, because they're on the exact opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like physical frame sort of is Giannis you know you always see Giannis with those blocks where he's just kind of tunnels in on the ball and he flies in from the weak side and he kind of contorts around the rim and it's you know there's always these clips like what are you supposed to do against that he's like a missile locked in on the ball ready to poke it away I think it's kind of uh you know 
Chet isn't quite as uh, as physical. He's not able to get himself to the to the spot quite like uh, Giannis on Tenacumbo. He's kind of good, but yeah. um, I think it's pretty funny how it's kind of similar with his ball tracking and the, the hand eye coordination and the the upper body flexibility, kind of contorting himself around the rim and such. Yeah, and taking what you discussed on your video, kind of my thoughts on that were I thought it was interesting because we often talk about you know how can a guy how well does a guy absorb contact but we think about that through the lens of an offensive player right normally driving to the rim attempting layups but i thought it was really interesting to think about that concept of absorbing contact through the lens of a rim protector either the primary guy on the ball or maybe a guy coming from the weak side if there's body contact there but it's interesting to think about that as a little bit of a skill because Frankly, that's that's kind of deep. That's something I hadn't really thought too much about before. But as you go back and watch the film, if you watch Chet Holmgren block shots, it's really intriguing because I do think there is some real truth to it, kind of looking at that as an actual skill through the lens of him as a rim protector. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's really unique because I think a lot of like Chet's different than other players. So he's always going to have to do things in a different way. And he's always going to have to be a little bit unique. And because of, you know, the fact that he's playing inside and most of the guys playing inside are far stronger than him. He, I think he's well aware that he has to be crafty. And I think one thing he really does a great job of doing or great job of doing, he takes advantage of really well is he does a, he likes to stick his hip out in a sense to kind of Mm -hmm. absorb contact with the driver's lower body. And it kind of, it leads to Chet getting pushed back a bit, but it prevents the drivers from getting their upper body into Chet's upper body. And I mean, when you're talking about going to the rim against, you know, massive shot blockers, that's the thing every coach is going to always tell you to do is make comp. You can't try and, you know, fade away against them because they'll just use their reach and block it. You have to, you know, get into them and push, get them off balance before you shoot. And I think Chet does a really good job of absorbing contact with his lower body which prevents players. He did it against Paolo Bencaro twice. He did it against Adrian Griffin Jr., who are two of the stronger guys in the class. And he absorbed contact super well. And then, you know, his lower body gets pushed back a little bit, but his upper body, he's just so big and he's so flexible that he's able to just stay vertical. And he's so large that even if he's a little bit further away, he's still in range to contest shots. Yep. So, yeah, totally agree. Um, There's one more aspect of the defense I want to get to that you talked about in terms of just the switchability and how his defense on the perimeter might translate. But first, let's get into a quick break from our sponsors. When it comes to athletes, we tend to focus on physical fitness, but there is another side to the game that is just as important, and that is mental fitness. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and they have teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind and become the champion version of yourself. Calm can help you train your brain to help you sleep better, reduce stress, and perform at your best, just like LeBron James. So if you head to calm.com slash NBA for a limited time, you'll get 40% off of a Calm premium subscription. Again, For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm and get a 40% discount by going to calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. 
it is the holiday season, so why don't you go ahead and grab the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar, or maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar is filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but also amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. Plus, of course, if you listen to my show, you know they've got so many different flavors, everything from raspberry to mint brownie to double chocolate to cookies and cream and even peanut butter brownie. So because you're listening to our show, you can go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your first order. Again, 15% off your first order by using promo code LOCKED15. All right, so Chip, in terms of his switchability, you talked about in your video how he does move his hips well. He obviously does have fantastic recovery tools just with his feel for the game, but also the incredible length he has. And I will say that something uh, I've learned or gained a greater appreciation for is like determining or projecting who are going to be very good switch defenders is difficult, number one, because they're just frankly aren't that many that are actually really good at it in the NBA. And also, number two, because I think we often think about quickness as the first thing, but just like every skill or or every you know uh, play in basketball, there's always different ways to accomplish the task. And something that I've noticed that Evan Mobley is so good at is his like spatial recognition combined with his length. And so what he is so good at is he'll gap the offensive player, like he'll give them he just knows that perfect amount of space to give him where he can still contest with his length. And then he just plays the angles so well off of that. And so the guard feels his length and usually tries to drive and just kind of ends up in basically the Venus flytrap that is Evan Mobley. And so what level of switch or space defender on the perimeter do you think Chet will be, and does he have some of those same tools that we've seen from a guy like Evan Mobley? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good point. I think that's something that I tried to kind of dive into a little bit. I didn't have that as a as a, a big point in my video, but I think he has the tools to do it well. And I think one thing that's really big for Chet is, like you mentioned with Mobley, his spatial awareness. Chet's spatial awareness is very, very, very good, in my opinion. Um, one thing that I kind of picked up on really early when watching Chet's games was he likes to like flick his head around a lot. Like his head is like on a swivel. Um, I think it's one of those college things where you'll see a college player kind of one thing that he'll do it in the first half really well. And then as the game kind of rolls on, they'll get a little, you know, going through the motions or something and they'll be less maybe committed to doing like that one, like boxing out or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's one thing that I would like to see him do more often because it does feel like at times his spatial awareness drops a little bit when he becomes less kind of locked in. Um, But I think he, I think Chet has a couple issues on the perimeter. I think overall he'll probably be able to do a solid job just because in large part, um, the guys who are going to get him on the perimeter aren't necessarily going to be like, I I mean, I think you can maybe try and attack him in switches in the pick and roll, but I think he'll kind of just, 
I'm, I'm personally like fundamentally a believer that against most guards, you can kind of just give slightly contested above the break threes and they're not super efficient shots. But yeah. in regards to Chet defending them, I think he had a really nice clip against Central Michigan uh, in the first half of that game where there was a guard on the perimeter and who had the ball and Chet kind of did a really good job of flipping his hips and his footwork wasn't too jumpy and he stayed in front of him. And one thing he did really well was he got himself low and he got his arms wide and he kind of used his length to like block off driving angles. And mm-hmm. it, it got to a point where like the ball handlers had to reset the possession. And he's done that a few times this season. It's not super common, but he does it a little bit. And I originally had a part in my video talking about it, but I ended up uh, cutting it out because it seemed a little uh, overkill, but if he's able to start doing that with more frequency, then I would feel really comfortable projecting him as like a guy who's going to be able to defend well on the perimeter. Um, for now, I, I'm not 100% sure. With Gonzaga, he doesn't have to do it a lot. And when he does, it's usually not against the opposing team's best player because usually when Chats on the floor, he's on the t- floor with Drew Timmy. And uh, when the opposing guards are trying to abuse a big in the switch, it's Timmy and not Chet. So Chet doesn't really get a lot of reps doing that. When he is on the perimeter, he has had some problems with guys going past him. Usually he can recover and block the shot anyways, because he's just so ridiculously big for that, uh, for college. But um, the few times we have seen him go on the perimeter and use his wingspan to kind of stop driving lanes, it's looked really good. So, I mean, there's flashes of it being good, but we don't get a lot of reps just because players are attacking Drew Timmy and not Chet. Yeah. To your point there, you know, one thing I think is true is it is hard for him to get into his stance and get low just by nature of him being so long and probably just kind of lacks the leg strength, honestly. Uh, but that kind of gets to the main point. I don't mean to compare or make this whole thing a comparison with Mobley, but just um, the coordination that Evan Mobley has, like his dexterity, I think is the word I would use at that size is just really different it's always something that i've noted with him and so mobley isn't this aggressively explosive mover but it's that smooth coordination for his size that he just kind of looks like he moves like a six five guy and that that isn't quite the case with chet and it's frankly impossible for it to be with just how big and skinny chet is now i think some of that is mitigated like you said in the video with his spatial awareness and with the length and and i like how you brought up uh how his head is always on a swivel is kind of the the term I use for it. So he just is that natural rim protector, but I do think there is a difference in terms of just kind of the movement skills again, between those two guys. Again, I don't mean to compare everything to Mobley. It's just easier in terms of another guy that's kind of seven foot skinny people termed as a potential unicorn. So I do think those are some of the differences. Yeah. I mean, I think Mobley's probably the best, like, person to look at when trying to project how chat will go to the NBA. So, I mean, it's really easy to jump into that exact one. Yeah, for sure. Um, One thing I'll I'll bring up to before we get into the offense is do you have any concern that uh, Chet Holmgren has dominated kind of the cupcakes of the schedule, but against, I think they've played, yeah, Gonzaga's played four good teams this year, basically. um, And those four games have ranged from not great to like decent from Chet. But if you look at just the box plus minus all in one numbers, his overall number looks fantastic. But if you look against just the top 50 teams he played, which are four, 
it's like around six, which is which is still good. It's fine. Um, does that concern you maybe that when he's gone up against kind of the better athletes, we haven't seen quite the same production from him? Yeah, I mean, I think they're from watching through the games when he's going up against those better athletes. I don't actually think he's had much of a problem with the athleticism thing. I think the biggest thing for Chet in those games is the fact that um, when when he's in those games, a, I think one thing which I brought up earlier is that those teams are, you know, they have better players and they're better coached and they do a lot of attacking drew Timmy. And so that kind of limits the amount of reps that Chet's just getting in general. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, uh, Chet's at his best in transition. And um, I think so offensively, he's going to do worse against better teams because they're going to turn the ball over less and get in transition less. And that's going to give him less kind of opportunities to do that. I will say the one big concern that I have with his athleticism and his frame, which um, my friend draft pal brought up um, and when he's getting boxed out or boxing out, he'll get caught behind players and he doesn't really have much of a counter for that right now. And I think that's one thing that the best teams have used to kind of neutralize him is just, you know, put like Theo John or I can't remember who it was against Texas on him and just kind of box him out or, you know, seal him. Yep. for driving lanes and he's going to definitely need to develop some type of swim move or something to counter that because right now he kind of gets caught by those and he's just not really sure what to do i think that's probably my biggest concern with chet especially with the strength yeah i would agree i think there's two areas where he's kind of maybe disappointed me a little in terms of just the expectations because i did have him as the number one guy coming in the first one like you said is the rebounding where if you just put another bigger guy and task him with boxing him out. It's just, it's been tough. And, and yes, like Chet is a ferocious competitor. I'm not like as worried as some about kind of the strength and just how skinny he is, but there does come a point where just being that skinny, you just can't get off a box out of a guy that's kind of under your center of gravity and pushing you out of the way. And so Gonzaga has had some uh, difficulty on the boards in those games. And then the other area is just the jump shot, which we will hit coming up in the next segment. But let's get a quick word first from our sponsors. Bet Online has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Again, Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. Again, Bet Online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Okay, so let's get into the offense from Chet Holmgren in terms of what we've seen now and the projection down the line. Couple things we need to hit on, but let's start with the jumper. I talked about that as being something I've been slightly disappointed by. Starting with the numbers, he's at 30% from three. Obviously, it's still a small sample. 68% on free throws, but I'll start with with a clip that you had in your video. And this was one that I wrote down in my notes as I was watching the game live versus Duke. Uh, you might be able to guess the possession, but the ball got swung or kicked out to him. He was standing in the corner and he had plenty of time to get the three point shot off. 
Mark Williams from Duke kind of closed out late. And I don't know if it was just the the closeout or he just didn't want to shoot it, but but that release just took too long in his jumper and then he tried like a sidestep three. Basically, he erased the advantage that was created because it took him too long to get the shot off and then took him kind of too long to make the next decision too. And so my worry with the jumper and kind of with his overall offensive projection is not necessarily the accuracy of the jumper at this point, but more so, will he be able to get up enough volume from three? Because I I do think that number one volume and number two quickness of release are two underrated aspects related to how much gravity an offensive player has behind the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, especially more so even than just the percentage. So like in terms of like a scale, if you're putting this on like the worry scale, how worrisome is that to you? Kind of the slow release from three and maybe the reluctancy to to take enough in terms of volume. Yeah, I mean, I think for me the the release. So the thing with the with the release and the reluctancy for me is a big part of that. I think is with Chet's shot, he has a very deep dip. He yeah, brings the ball forever. extremely yeah. low. It's like a trebuchet. Yeah. Um, and he, I think, you know, it's hard. Everyone pins every problem of Chet's on strength, yeah. but I do genuinely think like adding a, just a little bit more strength will really help with, you know, I'm not sure if he's able to consistently get his shot off without that dip. And I think I mentioned in the video that I think it's some, like his shot is going to get reworked by whatever team drafts him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm a little bit, I think my bigger concern is like just the general processing speed when tasked with a closeout like because he has the handle to attack these closeouts but at the same time he's also you know supposed to be a shooter right he's kind of got a functional ish handle and a functional ish shot and i think sometimes he just kind of gets caught up between do i want to use my shot or do i want to use my dribbling because he's a really good finisher around the rim he's shooting like 94 percent at the rim so Ideally, he wants to be at the rim, but his handle isn't really great. So he's not sure if he wants to try and dribble to go to the rim. And then he's like, oh, well, I can shoot, but he's not really a great shooter and he'd rather be finishing at the rim. So he kind of just squanders a lot of advantages because he kind of just freezes and isn't sure what to do. I think overall, his offensive processing speed is fine. Like when he's a passer and stuff and, you know, when he's slipping screens and such super smooth like quick decisions perfectly fine it's just when he's tasked to facing closeouts and i think part of it is confidence with the shot and you know i've made this video and i'm generally pretty pro chet currently i have him number one but i will say something that's deeply concerning about his shots you mentioned the 30 percent. he is five for eight in transition and two for 15 in the half court he has made mm. two half court threes so far and he has missed 13 of them which is not very good. And definitely that one is like a seven on the concern scale. The shooting reluctancy and stuff, I think for me, that's more of like a, maybe like a four and a half, maybe a five, just because I think it's more like he just isn't sure what to do when attacking, when faced with closeouts, less show than he's like super reluctant as a shooter per se. Yeah, because I agree. I, I do like his processing speed. And overall, you can see it permeates throughout his game. He is a high level thinker of the game especially like for his age i don't worry about that it's just maybe the lack of uh, aggression and i can understand that because he comes into a a gonzaga team that has guys like timmy nemhard 
they're the number one team coming into the season. And so he doesn't want to necessarily always be the most assertive guy on the court. I can understand that, you know, in terms of his context right now. But let's move on to, we kind of already headed in this direction, but the passing. You mentioned the stat of 3.9 assists per 40, I think, in your video, which you compared that to other you know, really good passing bigs in the NBA. That number is actually better than all of them, including Cat and Bam, for example. Again, though, I go back, and it's a small sample, so this isn't too big of a deal for to me, but kind of um, the devil's advocate here would be in the four games, again, against real competition, only three assists. So that assist rate dips all the way down to 4.9% against the four real teams he's played. Again, too small of a sample still, and I've seen enough that I buy him as like a decision maker and passer. But the important point here is, which you mentioned in the video, that a lot of, you know, weaknesses offensively for a guy this size can be overcome, which we have seen from Evan Mobley by good decision making and passing. Because to be a good passer in the NBA, it helps to be that tall. And again, we've seen that from Mobley. So, uh, so kind of where, again, revisiting the spectrum, but on the positive side, how confident are you in him making the right decision, whether it's attacking a closeout, kind of floating in the dunker spot, you know, maybe envisioning his translation to the NBA level. Uh, are you, where are you on that scale of confidence as a passer? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of varies by situation. I think when he's attacking a closeout, my confidence is about a zero. Um, but when he's doing other things, like, you know, when he's playing in the center of a zone and when he's in the dunker spot, like you mentioned, and, you know, when he's setting screens, uh, Gonzaga run a bit of Chicago action for Nemhard and Chet will be the, you know, the DHL operator, I suppose, for that right after the pin down. Um, and Chet will kind of slip those. He'll slip a lot of PNRs and a lot of DHO screens really quickly. And when he gets put in those situations, he's made some nice passes and he usually is pretty easily able to, you know, make the decision on passing or shooting. He's shown a couple interior passes there. Uh, he had one nice one in the start of the Alabama game where he like tried to drive. He attacked the closeout, I think for once. And uh, he tried to drive and two defenders came and kind of forced him out of bounds. And while he was falling out of bounds, he kind of used his absurd reach to like reach around them and, you know, everyone kind of thought the play was dead and all of a sudden the ball just bounced right to Drew Timmy wide open by the basket. And Drew Timmy was like, oh, OK. And, you know, everyone kind of was caught off guard by the fact that he wasn't even out of the play, despite being like five feet out of bounds, falling yeah. with two dudes on him. So, I mean, I, I think I'm feeling pretty good about the processing speed, but I will say like there's certain situations where it isn't great. And I think part of it is I'm not quite sold that the fit at Gonzaga is optimal circumstance for him. Um, you know, their offense is a lot of like Drew Timmy having the ball in his hands for 10 seconds so he can do an entire ballad in the paint. Um, and I, I feel like Chet kind of wants to be in an offense closer to like what Golden State runs where, you know, they're screening and, you know, just passing and moving the ball and cutting. And I think that's a better circumstance for him than an ISO post player. Yeah. And, and I can imagine some listeners might be saying like, how important is passing or decision-making or processing speed really for a seven-footer? And my point here is there's a few guys that have been termed kind of these unicorn-type players. We've talked a lot about Mobley today, but on the other end of the spectrum, and still a very good player, is Kristaps Porzingis. And so 
the worry with Porzingis or that comparison or where I think there are similarities is like they have pretty similar build and like you've talked about the ability to attack a closeout and actually dribble like effectively in an NBA half court is just going to be very, very difficult at that size because defenders can just get into his lower body so easily. And he just doesn't quite have that fluid movement ability that Evan Mobley has. But then the other thing that differentiates them is the passing where Porzingis just just is not in the same realm as a guy like Evan Mobley as well. And so that just kind of limits a lot of the ways that you can use him. So the way that Porzingis is basically used now is as a spacer out behind the three-point line. And look, if you combine that spacing with very good defense from a guy like Chet Holmgren in terms of what we're projecting, that's still a very valuable NBA player, but there's just kind of a lot of nuance in terms of, yes, he's a unicorn, but how exactly does that fit uh, for an NBA team at the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think just having players in general who can, you know, Chet's screens aren't the best. Um, it seems like, I will say, he maybe maybe has started watching some, like, Kelly Olynyk tape because in the <laughs> past few games, his legs are wide on those screens and uh, doesn't get called for it because, you know, refs don't really like calling that one a ton. Um, so he's been starting to get more separation on screens, and I think that's one thing he's shown a lot of progress on, kind of like maybe more of a low-key note, is the first few games, like his screens, he might as well not have been there. Whereas recently, he's actually been able to cut, create some separation for ball handlers as a screener. And I think just having a guy who can screen and can just make decisions and pass is just so beneficial to offensive flow and kind of that's part of the way I look at Chet is like defensively I think he's going to be sensational if he can you know handle the strength thing which I feel like he can I think he's going to be really good as a rim protector and I think he's pretty coverage versatile so you can kind of run him with different styles of players with him and then offensively just being that tall and being a good decision maker and passer and being a good enough shooter that teams are going to at the very least have to bring players out or just let you take completely wide open jumpers, which I feel pretty confident in him making wide open shots. Um, I think that's just so valuable. Like even if it's rather offensively limited, it's just so, so, so valuable of a skill set to have. And it just makes offense a lot easier for your team. Speaking of Kelly Olenek, they need to get Chet Chet Holmgren on that same kind of weight gain slash strength gain program. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't think he'll have a whole, redshirt season like Kelly Olenek had when he was there. Um, But unfortunately, we have run out of time today. We did want to discuss a few kind of very under the radar guys, but I'll have to have you on another time to do that again. And that'll give me some chance to actually watch the film of the guys that that you sent me. Um, But thank you, Chip, so much for taking the time to discuss Chet Holmgren in depth with me today. Uh, Why don't you tell, I know we already hinted at the top, but just remind listeners again where they can find you on social media. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at ChipJNBA. um, And you can find me there usually tweeting about a a bunch of prospect stuff. I don't really have much of a social life, so I'm on there pretty frequently. So if you want to get in contact with me, you just DM me on Twitter and I'll be right there. Um, And then also I'm on YouTube at ChipJNBA. I just released my first video. It's about Chet Holmgren. Um, people have been, it's been doing well. I'm really happy with it. I'm working on a new video now talking about verticality and forwards. 
Um, so yeah, thanks for having me on, Sam. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for making the Locked On NBA Draft podcast your first listen today and hopefully every day. Uh, because you like our show, you also, I would hope, would like the Locked On Bets show, your daily one-stop shop for all gambling needs. Again, that's Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms.